Blog Talk Radio. Champ, but what he's doing now, I think, is rivaling even that. 
and we'll definitely give him a, a chance to talk about everything he's doing post-basketball, all the success he's having. Um, definitely let him speak about that when he joins us. Um, so it's going to be going to be a whole lot of fun. And this is a guy that, that you and I have had our eye on and, and you know, had a little conversation with the past. Definitely a guy we wanted to have on the show. So it's it's great that it's finally working out that PA joins us tonight. Yeah, Nick's, I'm excited. And, and, and having Patrick on, we're going to talk some recruiting. As everybody knows, that's not exactly our forte. Uh, but uh, So it's always good to get some experts to talk about that and how the Cats might be looking next year and beyond. So very exciting uh, show. Yes, let's say we got a a couple UK games that went down. Uh, most recently, uh, the game against Vanderbilt at home Saturday, and you were there. I was kind of watching off and on, wasn't on Twitter much, but, but glancing and catching what I could of it. Um, but I know you were in there in Rupp Arena in the flesh. So uh, how was this trip covering the game for you? When you, you know, well, you know, you know, on Friday uh, we had the snow here in the Kentucky area, not so much in Louisville, but part south and, and Lexington got hit pretty good. Uh, but I, I knew they were still going to have the game. And, and, you know, it was still jam-packed. Uh, I got there a little bit early, and I say a little bit. I mean, I got there at 1 o'clock for a 4 o'clock game, so I beat everybody out. <laughs> But I did get to watch a friend of the show, Ryan Lemon, shoot free throws. And he hit two out of ten, banked two in, missed one, and it had seven air balls. So that was something. Uh, But it was was a good game uh, from start to finish. The Cats came out focused. uh, And I think what is a good sign, uh, they had Alex Poitras. He was really ready to go from the jump. He scored uh, six early points in the first half, scored a couple baskets at the start of the second half uh, to his 16-point night uh, because he realized although Vanderbilt had the height, uh, they didn't have nearly the athleticism on the inside uh, that he did. So if, if he can get that kind of locked in, and I know we've been saying this for four years now, but if he can get that kind of locked in, that's really going to open things up uh, for the Cats offensively. And that's what happened. Uh, Tyler Eulis did his usual. Uh, Jamal Murray, he heated up. And uh, I'm big enough to admit when I'm wrong, and I was wrong about Derek Willis. I thought it was kind of a stopgap kind of measure. But even when his shot isn't falling, which it was not doing on Saturday, he does a lot of things really well, things that he didn't used to do. Uh, but like Cal- Coach Cal said post-game, you know, he can take Derek missing some shots if he's going to do the other things real well. He rebounds efficiently, and while he's not the best on-the-ball defender, he uses his height and his reach really, really well, and he's protecting the rim. Uh, no, he's no Anthony Davis or Nerlens Noel, but – for this team, he's he's feeling the need that this team needed, uh, and he's really showing some toughness on the interior. So I think going forward, uh, you know, as long as he's in the rotation, which I think 
with the starting five of Willis, Poitras, Briscoe, uh, Murray, and Ulis, I think that's a pretty good starting five uh, because even, like I said, even with Vanderbilt's height advantage, uh, the way they schemed, uh, they played really, really well uh, against it. And to me, it looks like, you know, we we saw flashes, and we've seen flashes from Willis before, but the blue and white game his freshman year, and I know it's a blue and white game, but that got everybody buzzing. Uh, and now it looks like he's kind of carried that over. We saw what he could do in that game. We heard about him and Julius Randle going at it in practice. We, we've heard about these things and uh, seen little flashes here and there. But now he's kind of strung some games together. And, he's, like you say, he's hitting the board. He's athletic enough to stay in front of his man, and, and that's all you want. Uh, like you said, these other times he wouldn't do the little things, uh, and then when he's out there missing shots and giving up buckets on the other end, well, you know, he's immediately going to be going to the bench. Now he's hitting well, the board with a double-double the first game, uh, you know, back-to-back 12-point games, and then the fact that he kept himself on the floor doing all the other things Saturday when he didn't even score. Now, now you see maybe it, it all kind of coming together and working, and he can he's actually seeing what he can do and building off of it. And, and that's the thing is I think a lot of fans fell in love with you've got this guy, you know, 6'8", or, you know, whatever he is, that can hit three-pointers. But if you're going to play for Cal, you've got to be able to, to do a lot of things really, really well. And now that he's – you know, shooting the ball well and doing a lot of the other little things, Cal can leave him out there. He's not the liability on defense he was even at the beginning of this season. Uh, so these last couple of games with Arkansas and, and with Vanderbilt, he, he's showing he's more than just a shooter. And uh, offense is opening up because of it. Uh, with, with Willis on one side and Murray on the other, the defense, if with, with good ball rotation, good ball movement, you're going to get some looks. You're going to put pressure on the defense, and that's what uh, Kentucky's been able to do the last couple of games, and hopefully they can do that again tonight. Yeah, I got a, got a Missouri team coming in that's uh, fallen on some hard times, uh, had some some missteps and some violations from Frank Hayes, the previous coach. They're not even – Going to the SEC tournament, uh, Kentucky is favored by over 20 uh, right now for for the game coming up in a little less than three hours. Um, it should be one where you just come out and, and take care of business. You know you're better than this team. Uh, just go ahead and show it. Uh, don't be looking ahead to Kansas. Go ahead and get this one squared away, uh, and and don't let them hang around. Just just you know knock them out quick. And, and keep them down. It's the kind of game we had tonight with Missouri. Yeah, and and, and I, I was talking to somebody that said that the Vanderbilt game could be a trap game, and I never thought that the Vanderbilt game would be. But I think this game tonight is, especially with, uh, like you said, Kansas on the horizon on Saturday, uh, I don't want the guys to start looking about that, that trip to Lawrence. you got to take care of business, and, and I would expect a, a fast start. Uh, simply because, as you said, the, the Tigers are kind of overmatched. Uh, so if the Cats can get out fast, 
take care of business, and then, you know, you've got Thursday and Friday to, to get ready for uh, Kansas. Yeah. If they've had a few games where they've, they've hung tough, that being Missouri, uh, at South Carolina, uh, they were playing, you know, tough into the second half. But then they've had some games where they've just absolutely gotten drilled. And, you know, Kentucky has that killer instinct. That's what they should do uh, to such an inferior opponent. Right, right. So we'll we'll learn a, a lot, and I, I think that right now the cats are feeding off Tyler Eulis, the the little general or whatever you want to call him. He he sets he sets the tone, and I think the other cats are feeding off that. Where against Auburn, they kind of took their foot off the gas. The last two games, the cats have come out. They've got the ten or twelve point lead. The other team has tried to fight back. Auburn, they let Auburn get back into it, but these last two weeks, the, the Cats have answered, and then they've gone and extended the lead. So definitely good good signs uh, moving forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, of course, um, we've had, I guess, fuel for the fire or trolling going on that's been happening for a while. Uh, you know, with with your boy, uh, I'll go ahead and, and be like Tony Kornheiser, uh, Dan Dockett, your boy, who uh, was talking about Tyler Ewis not not being that great of a point guard or not top five. Uh, so you know that he, he that's said not top fifty. Not top what? He said not top fifty. He he has <laughs> has really been down on on Ewis. Yeah, and and then he's going at it on Twitter with everybody, uh, and then Tyler just continues to have you know good game after good game. So I mean, it's that's got you know big made to stir it up, and that's not the first time. Uh, I think you and him went at it last year. You know, I had a little some conversations, but it's just you know when he just does his thing, he's a good analyst, but you know he just can't seem to help himself from just trying to poke and needle a little bit. Well. He had an issue with uh, our good friend Larry Vaught at, I can't remember if it was an NCAA tournament game or, or I can't remember the, the setting, but his son was a walk-on at Michigan, and he was on press row cheering his son on. And and Larry made the observation, you know, you really can't do that, and, and he was very nasty about it. And... I think that's kind of the way some of these ESPN celebrities are or uh, personalities, whatever you want to call them. They've got this national audience, so they always kind of pick on, quote, unquote, the little guy. Um, But he knows that he can say something about Tyler Ulyss, and that's going to get a response. Uh, But it's obvious when you watch what he does on the court for this team, the the team's going to go as far as, as he pushes them, and I don't see him kind of letting up. Uh, on that. Yeah, yeah, so um, we saw a glimpse of life without Tyler Ewis. He was early in the season when he hurt his elbow. Uh, I was the notion that it was, it was good to see Briscoe and guys get a little run at that spot. But, you know, for the, you know, over the long haul, you know, Kentucky's got to have Tyler Eulis, you know, it, it's just, it's just totally obvious. 
the impact and the importance of, of how valuable he is to this year's team. You know, Cal brought you know, Ulis on Saturday against Vanderbilt, picked up two first-half fouls with about three minutes left, and, and Cal had to bring him in kind of an in, like it was the end of the game, you know, offensive-defensive substitutions because the, the offense just got stagnant. And what you don't want to have happen, which has happened uh, a couple times this year, is you've, played, you've outplayed a team really, really well in the first half, but yet you go into the halftime – with an eight-point lead or seven-point lead. And and Cal said, uh, again, in his post-game comments, he didn't want that to happen here. Clearly, uh, we had outplayed uh, Vanderbilt, and he wanted to make sure that we went into halftime with that lead. But Ulysses is so good, he was uh, able – he made a fantastic strip, not fouling, uh, to stay on the court. So I think you can trust him to play with some fouls and uh, he's 27 of 28 on his last free throws. So he's what you want out of a point guard. He, he sets up your offense. He, he, he's, he's, I, I think between Briscoe and Euless, you can't really screen them on defense. They get around screens like, like it's their job. I mean, it, it, it's fantastic to watch. And when your guards stay attached to their man on the screen, you're not putting pressure on – your big man, you know, on the pick-and-roll scenarios or the pick-and-pop because they're right there. So that's huge on the defensive end. And, you know, when he's hitting his free throws, uh, this is what you want. It's obvious watching him play, particularly against Louisville, who, you know, everybody loves. They, they, they love to full-court trap, and they couldn't do it. He's too quick and too strong with the ball. To, to trap him even on the full court. So you limit the other team's options on defense. And when he's feeling it in the half court like he has been, it, you're, you're going to have a, a, great, uh, a great opportunity to win, and that's what we've done. Yeah, and, you know, that same thing, you know, with, with Arkansas, uh, and you know how they, they try to wear down the ball handler and, and come at guys in waves and been doing that for years and you know we saw how he was able to just he's been in control game in and game out you know it like you said when he steps out on the court you've seen him in person come out for warm-ups it's his team his fingerprints are all over everything you know he dictates everything around him he dictates to the other defense you know he runs the show on offense uh, it, it's just incredible, you know, his his high basketball IQ, uh, his decision-making, you know, going to the lane and, and being the little guy, you, you know, he's been a little guy all his life, you know, getting the floaters off, you know, pulling up for that fifth range, getting himself available for a high percentage shot. He does it all. He doesn't rush and, and get in a hurry and force himself into mistakes. He's always just, you know, the, the total package. And as far as taking care of business goes. And, and uh, Kevin Stallings, the Vanderbilt coach, after the game said exactly that. Uh, you can't speed him up. He, he's going to get where he wants to go on the offensive end. And, and that's what makes him such a difficult uh, player uh, because he can shoot the mid-range jump shot so he doesn't have to get that deep on offense. He's always looking to set up his teammates. 
uh, and he can go and attack your big, get the contact, but still go up and over uh, with that teardrop floater. So uh, very, very uh, – he's, he's the heart and soul of this team that, that's evident. Absolutely. Um, let's take a quick break and catch our breath. Uh, we'll talk plenty more UK basketball the rest of the night. You and I, and of course, when BA joins us in about an hour, uh, we got plenty of NBA and NFL uh, to get to as well. Uh, all kind of crazy NBA news, off the court news from another team in LA that isn't your team. Let's talk about that. Uh, I saw you tweeting something about some Niner stuff, so I will roll my eyes and we'll talk about that. But we'll get to all of that and more. We'll be back in such a few minutes. We'll listen to Cat's Talk Wednesday, Benny Hardy outside Knoxville, Terry Brown, and Mama Brown up in Louisville on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back in a couple minutes. Back and they've been playing better, and so 
everybody thought it would kind of be a little bit more of a competitive game. It wasn't the case. Kentucky raced past them um, in a very solid performance, which uh, everybody hopes carries over to Missouri tonight. Uh, and then you, you want to see these things carry over when you play on the road. Everybody's struggling. Everybody's losing. Everybody is different away from home, and that's all over the country. Duke is on a, a losing streak, you know, taking on some losses. Kansas lost, which, you know, they lost right before playing Kentucky. As if it's going to be tough enough. Now you got them coming off of a loss. So, you know, the Fall Gallon Fieldhouse is going to be jacked Saturday. Uh, and they'll come out, of course, wanting to get that bad taste out of their mouth. But everybody is trying to find themselves, and, and Kentucky's trying to do the same thing. Um, some players have their Willis has these past few games. Uh, Scal has shown flashes uh, a couple games ago. Didn't play much Saturday, you know, for the matchups and things like that. But hopefully he's continuing to work and can continue to build on some of the bricks that he's laid down uh, over the past few weeks as well. Definitely. It's going to be interesting to see what uh, kind of carryover they have tonight to, to take care of this and avoid, uh, avoid the trap game uh, against Mizzou. Definitely. Now, I want to flip to the NBA real quick. Everybody knows you're a huge Lakers fan, and the Clippers, uh, I don't think I'm speaking out of term if I say this, the Clippers annoy you to no end. I don't I don't know if they annoy you more than any other NBA team, but they think they get on your last serve, I'll say that. Um, and now they're making all kinds of news for the wrong reason with the Blake Griffin stuff. He was about to come back been out with a you know, quadricep injury for the longest, and then you get the news that he's out with a hand injury, and they come out with the you know, undisclosed reasons and blah, blah, blah. And so it wasn't the ball injury. He didn't hurt it in practice in any kind of way. Then more stuff comes out, and it comes out he's a, with an altercation with you know one of the team managers, uh, and they were fighting you know, and arguing in, in Toronto. And so it just, just looks awful. And I, I got to get your thoughts on it. I want to even, you know, ask DA about that as well when he comes on. And I know you and I and Mo Brown, we got tons of questions. But I got to get your thoughts on the Clippers because I know how you feel about the Clippers. Well, the, the, the Clippers, for most of their run, have just been a, a dysfunctional organization. And – you know, we've touched on this before. The the franchises you think of just being kind of the cornerstone franchises for whatever sport, they have consistent ownership, consistent leadership, and the the players kind of know, you know, watch your P's and Q's, if you will. You, you know, you look at the Spurs and the run they've been on, which I think probably – when you're looking at dynasty, that's what we've got right now. And they just had that consistency. They know what's to be expected. They don't bring a lot of things into the locker room that, that cause that divisiveness. Again, I'm not a, I've not been in an NBA locker room. That would be uh, something to ask DA. But you would think all the teams you hear about with shenanigans, the Clippers, uh, the Gilbert Arenas-led Wizards and all that ridiculousness, those teams aren't winning. 
the the you know I don't know if it's a chicken or an egg type thing, but uh, winning locker rooms don't have all this all this foolishness going on. Uh, and the Clippers, they've had uh, a pretty good run for them here lately, but I think the issue is uh, they see themselves kind of better than they are. You know, still haven't made the Western Conference Finals, uh, and this talk of supplanting the Lakers as L.A.'s team is foolishness because that won't happen. so this latest thing with Blake Griffin, I mean, this is just the Clippers being the Clippers, you know, trading uh, Josh Smith back to your Rockets after signing him this off season. I think most NBA people said that wasn't going to work, and yay, it's come to pass that you know they basically trade him for a bag of magic beans. So there's a lot going on in the Clippers organization, and not a lot of it good. Yeah. Um... I just retweeted an article from from Kevin Dean uh, at Bleacher Report. Um, I don't know if you followed him or read him. I, I think he, he writes uh, he writes a lot about the NBA. He's written a lot of stuff about the Lakers. Um, got an article up about um, Blake Griffin and basically asking who is Blake Griffin. The Clippers still don't really know. Um, Blake Griffin, you know, basically he's kind of a, you know, the, the fake tough guy image. Uh, you know, he's ripped up, he's huge. And when he does, he get, you know, gets fouled and gets roughed up and, and just kind of lets it slide. There's different guys that have, have kind of pushed him around and he hasn't done anything about it. I've seen the TNT guys, you know, Charles Barkley, you know, he needs to just, you know, go after somebody and, and get in a fight. I'm trying to find a few lines from that article, but uh, I'll find it as we talk. Uh, but yet, then you see him take out all his aggression on a little guy, not picking on somebody his own size when you battle, you know, the bruises of the NBA and, and you kind of get run over and pushed around, but then you have this fight uh, over a little equipment manager and you break your hand, you know, punch it, allegedly so uh, it, it is really, really uh, um, puzzling, I guess is the word I'm trying to look find. Yeah, it, it, it is, and his toughness, quote-unquote, has been something that's been uh, talked about for a while, That, and you, you can see it. The opposing teams, they, they rough him up. They know that's a way to get him uh, off of his game. And so, like Charles Barkley, who's uh, more of an expert on this than I am, you have to you have to respond, and and he has it because uh, he's going to get he's going to get fouled. Uh, I think when I, when you look back and and Shaq, uh, when he was younger, he was he was getting abused by everybody, but then he started playing in a way that punished other people when they were trying to foul him. Pretty much, yes, you're going to foul me, but you are going to pay for that. And then you didn't see so much of that egregious fouling that you saw for that stretch when he was in Orlando. Uh, Once he kind of put that chip on his shoulder, that's when he kind of took that next step. And I think, uh, as the article you point out, uh, and the Clippers 
is is Blake Griffin going to be able to make that that next step? Uh, I think that's part of the knock on Carl Malone. Fantastic player, but if you look at those the '97 and '98 finals where the Jazz played the Bulls, and you had you know everybody knows he was ripped, this specimen, and he's shooting 15 foot jump shots particularly in the second half. No, you've got to, if you are the man, you've got to be able to go get those tough points in the paint. That is how we sell we, we separate the good from the great or the very good from the great. Can you do it under those circumstances? And we have not seen that yet from Blake Griffin. Yeah. And just to kind of gloss over real quick what, what I was looking for in the article from Kevin Ding. Uh, I retweeted it at Cats Talk Wednesday, and you can go to Bleacher Report. You can follow or check out Kevin Ding on Twitter. Uh, just uh, little things, you know, it says that, that Blake insists that his hair is brown and not red. I mean, I don't even know why that's worth fighting about, but that's that. I didn't even know that, so I read it. But that's something I guess he's adamant about. His hair is brown, it's not red. Um, and then he brings up the ongoing flaw as a as a basketball great tends to come up small at crunch time, just like you mentioned. Uh, and he's improved as a player. He came in just as a dunker, just as a dunker. Now you see him working in uh, some post moves. He's got a jumper, fifteen, eighteen feet. He's working. You know, he can he can hit it off the glass as well. You see him working on his game. That is not in question. You can't deny that. Uh, it talks about how likable he is. We see how funny he is in the Kia commercials and all that. Says that Blake is the only player besides Larry Bird, Elgin Baylor, and Wilt to average at least 21 points, nine boards, and four assists for his career. Blake Griffin, Elgin Baylor, Larry Bird, and Wilt. So that I mean that's that's elite company. He then goes on to say that, that there's still always a missing link, something that is missing. Uh, you talk about it, the wicked temper that Blake has that gets all those technical fouls, but at the same time, he's too cool for school when it's a true moment of confrontation, when somebody his own size, you know, keep shot similar or goes upside his head with an elbow, then he, he doesn't, that temper is gone. But he'll pick up technicals and all that. Um, a behind-the-scenes desire to wrestle away a greater share of team leadership from Chris Paul, but none of the confidence, boldness, or self-certainty to go out and seize on the court. The willingness to risk heavy hits while driving towards the basket for dunks, but yet whining on the defensive end and flopping. So you get it's just which one are you? And and nobody seems to know because uh, it's, it's a little bit of both, but not. Enough of either, or if you, I don't know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, and and that's the thing is when you get to where you are very good, and and we can say as you're saying, uh, the list he's on with the numbers he's picked, he's put up, very very good, and gets you in the Hall of Fame discussion, obviously. But yeah. as I said last week, with with you know looking at the NFL Hall of Fame, there's a Hall of Fame. And then there's the people at the at the big table, okay? And when you think of NBA, big table, Jordan, Wilt, uh, Kareem, 
Magic, Bill Russell, uh, Larry Bird. Those are the folks that are at, they're in the velvet rope of the Hall of Fame. And it's because they did it really when it mattered the most. And it doesn't bring, it, it, it doesn't mean that they put up these numbers necessarily, uh, you know, solely because they're winning championships. But these guys, you knew that if they were going to go down, they were going to go down, as the old Westerns say, with empty barrels. You know, and even Charles Barkley, who never won a championship, he's close to the big table because, you know, particularly in 93, he brought it. He just happened to run into Michael Jordan. So if Blake wants to make that leap where he wants to start being in that power forward discussion, I think most people are saying that, you know, it's Duncan, Carl Malone, maybe uh, Dirk Nowitzki. When you when you look at power forwards in NBA history, and uh, I know there's some ones going back, uh, you know, older than that, Elgin Baylor for one, those kind of things. But if he wants to be in that contemporary discussion, he, he's got to be able to do some things. Now, will he be able to do it with Chris Paul there? And we all know Chris Paul is a, a pretty dominant personality. You know, he's president. He's a player rep on the union, and he's doing other things like that. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting as his career progresses. You know, he's gone from, like you said, a dunker to he's added some things to his game, but he's got to make that, that next leap. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll definitely keep D.A. brain about that as well as everything else. Uh, that we've been dying to talk with him about when he, when he comes on. Um, let's go ahead and, and talk about this, this Niner memories and reflections that uh, that you're talking about and and see what the deal is with that. Cause I, I know well, you're talking about reminiscing. Yeah, well, this, this past Sunday, you know, was uh, – uh, NFC, they, it was a championship Sunday with the NFC and the AFC. And for my money, that is, if, if your team is not playing, I like the championship Sunday more than the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is kind of like Final Four in as much as it's pretty, it's pretty corporate. It, the Super Bowl, you, you don't really get that home feel. It's kind of uh, this sanitized version of football. You know, don't get me wrong. I want my Niners to get there and win. But the championship games, you usually have some weather you're contending with, uh, and you you do have the the uh, team that has fought all year to have the that home field advantage. So we saw some great games. Uh, the the Denver uh, New England game. Of course, and, and this is one reason I'm kind of anti the NFL media, it's going to go down as Brady versus Manning, but anybody that watched that game will say, those are two really good defenses. And when you look at the yardage and, and things uh, like that, the defense has played a bigger role than I think any quarterback because they were able to score off of short fields of defense, was able to create through turnovers and that kind of thing. Uh, so it was a great game to watch. It, it, I mean, it, it was a thrilling end when you can, uh, you know, get Gronkowski in the uh, end zone for that last touchdown to really make it a game fantastic. Now, in the NFC, uh, obviously the Carolina, Carolina 
they are ready. They are locked in on both sides of the ball. Uh, and the Cardinals, for whatever reason, weren't. So, uh, But you have to tip your hat to uh, Cam Newton and Ron Rivera uh, and what they were able to do uh, in the NFC Championship game. You know, just remember, it was just a few years ago that Rivera was 7-9, and nine, and uh, any more a record like that, or not even a losing record, you can get shown the door. Uh, no matter how many times we see teams succeed by being patient with a coach and, and a young core uh, like the Panthers have, uh, ownership is ready to, to jump the gun. Uh, but the Panthers have been patient, and they're now being rewarded. Uh, so very good uh, championship game Sunday. Not so much for the, the Cardinals, but uh, but the AFC was a very, very good game. Yeah, and I I was surprised that Denver was able to pull it off. I just thought, you know, New England with, with Punk, Peyton Manning again, uh, Belichick would confuse them or, you know, like, he, you know, they had the upper hand. Uh, I thought New England would win. Um, but, you, like, you got to tip your hat to Denver's defense. Uh, congrats to Dan Trevason, former Wildcat, making – Another trip to the Super Bowl. Not been in the NFL long at all. This is his second trip to the Super Bowl. Um, Von Miller was unblockable. Uh, I have to be happy for DeMarcus Ware, former Cowboy who couldn't even sniff the playoffs in Dallas. Uh, After his long career he's had, a lot of people, you know, thought he was washed up. He's able to have a good playoff run and, and make it to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, maybe this is Peyton Manning's last game. Maybe it's not. Um, so congrats to them for, for getting there and, and him overcoming being a backup quarterback throughout the middle part of the season uh, when they were playing Brock Osweiler and he had the foot issue and all of that. Um, the NFC Championship game surprised me. I really thought that Cardinals Panthers was going to be, you know, down to the wire like dreams like uh, Denver and New England was. Carolina well, seemed to they they seem to learn a lesson. They might need to thank the Seahawks for maybe finally getting them over the hump. Uh, we've seen them start fast all year and jump on teams and build big leads, and then we've seen teams come back and make the game probably more, a little more interesting than they should. Uh, we mentioned the Packers and I think the Eagles and the Colts. Even while they were undefeated, they had teams blown out, and then the final score is a little closer than you thought it would have been. Uh, up 31 nothing last week, and then they beat Seattle 31-24. Uh, Cam Newton was afraid, you know, in his post-game press conference, everybody was kind of getting butt tight. You know, the players were getting butt tight, the coaches were getting butt tight. And so... This time they got a big lead, and there was no coming back for Arizona. I mean, they they did they finished the deal, and maybe they learned how. As good as they've been, that's still kind of a process to thoroughly finish somebody off after getting them on the ropes. Uh, kind of sad to see it in that way for for Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald. Would have liked to at least see them go out in a more competitive fashion, but. But Carolina just there was no denying them. 
Sunday, and I'm an NFC guy and all, but it, it's kind of hard for me to see them get denied when they get to the Super Bowl. It, it, it's going to be a tough job for the Broncos. I'm not, you know, we've still got another week to, to make uh, our Super Bowl predictions. But yes. uh, but one reason I was talking about the championship games is you're, you're a Cowboys guy, I'm a Niners guy, and I just, and I think people, uh, younger people know uh, the, the Manning, Brady, kind of what they've had in the playoffs. But I, I just don't think that there's, you know, there was that five-year stretch, you know, Green Bay ended up crashing uh, in 96, that it didn't matter who the seeds three through six were in the NFC. You knew, <laughs> I knew, everybody knew that it was going to be Dallas and San Francisco. And the pressure they put on each other to have home field advantage you know, it, it was like they were in the same uh, division in your, your scoreboard watching to make sure you don't drop one, a game you shouldn't drop, because you wanted – you knew that the championship game was either going to be on Texas Stadium, uh, you know, with the hole in the roof, or it was going to be at Candlestick Park. And, and then you knew, at least I did, and I believe you did as well, the Super Bowl was almost an afterthought because you knew – if you could beat Dallas or, or Dallas could beat – you knew if you could beat that team, the Super Bowl was almost an afterthought, and that's what it became uh, because that's when it has uh, some Super Bowl blowouts, you know, back in those days. Uh, so uh, those are the kind of memories I have. I remember – and I can't remember what year it was exactly, but San Francisco had the home field advantage. Dallas was coming to San Francisco, and it was rainy, and it was soggy, and the field was atrocious. And I was feeling great about this game. Eric Davis, fantastic corner for the 49ers. He is covering, because uh, you had Merton Hanks on the other side covering Irvin, he's covering Alvin Harper. This is before Alvin Harper went crazy and went to Tampa Bay. And Alvin Harper made this play. He's covered in mud, and he just goes up. And it was like a basketball player. He goes up and just grabs this ball, puts Dallas uh, in uh, in position to score, and they go and win. I was ho- I was heartbroken. I said, "This is, you know, I think it was the first time the the Niners had lost the NFC Championship game, you know, at home under these conditions, and it was just heartbreaking." But that of all those championship games, that is the one memory, and it's the memory where we end up losing. But I just remember those those games just being so intense that the Super Bowl was an afterthought. Yeah, you had, and of course, I mean from from '88. I mean, looking at the list now, you guys are in the in the thing for a ton of them. '88, uh, '89, you guys were in there. Of course, you went on to beat the Bears. '89, '90. They beat the Rams, uh, 90-91, lost to the Giants. Uh, then you skip ahead 92-93, and it's all the Cowboys-Niners stuff. 92-93 at San Francisco, Dallas wins 30-20. to uh, The next year I, I at Dallas, the, is that the one you're talking about? I, 
I think I think so. That thirty to twenty because that was one that was just. I was when I think of championship game losses, that one was big. But also uh, the one a couple of years ago, the Giants and the Forty ers when Kevin Williams muffed those two punts. Yeah. And that was that was infuriating as, as well. See, the thing is, and that, you know, with with the NFL, with the kind of one shot and you're and you're done. You know, with your team's not in it, you can just watch it for the joy of it. The worst Super Bowls for me to watch are the ones my team is playing in. The, the 49ers Ravens Super Bowl a couple of years ago, the one where the power went out, Beyonce. I couldn't. Well, that's, I've Googled it since then, but I didn't pay attention to Beyonce. I'm worried about my team winning. And that was when they lost that game. It is just a. I've seen my other teams lose. I've seen the Lakers get smoked in Game Six of the 2008 NBA Finals and lose that. I've seen the Cats lose in '97 in overtime. I've seen them lose the perfect season last year. But your team losing the Super Bowl, I don't know if there's a worse feeling in sports for me personally. You know, it's, it, you, you get that far, and the Super Bowl being is what it is, and your team losing the Super Bowl, that is a woo. It took me a while as far as uh, being a sport funeral, if you will. It took a while to bounce back from that one. I'll be honest with you. I can I can see that. Uh, it's, I haven't experienced the Cowboys losing the Super Bowl in my lifetime, but I haven't experienced them in the Super Bowl in a long time at the same time. Um, I can I can see that. I, rem, I remember the first time, I guess the yeah, 92-93 when they went on to win the first Super Bowl in my lifetime, which was their third one, that game out in San Francisco. Because the previous year, well, you, I mean, you could see Jimmy Johnson, they were coming. You know, they went 1-15, 7-9. Uh, and then in 91-92, uh, they go 11-5, make the playoffs, and I think lose lose the game, but they were still on the rise. So that next year, you know, win the playoff game, playing San Francisco in that title game was just nerve-wracking because this is the farthest I've ever seen my team go in my life. And at the time, I'm 15, 19, 92, 93, yeah, 15, 15 years old. So I'm heart pounding because this is uncharted water for me. Uh, you've been a 49ers fan. I mean, still as a kid, it's kind of grown up seeing your team competing and winning Super Bowls and that whole deal. They had already won a couple in your lifetime, you know, beating, beating Cincinnati and, and killing Denver and all that. I remember how nerve-wracking it was. They went on to win and beat the Niners and then won the Super Bowl, but I remember how nervous I was. So I can imagine them getting to a Super Bowl and then coming up short. Um, yeah, that would that would probably be one of the worst because 97 against Arizona was bad, especially when D.A. could have played or if Rick didn't put him in or however. And to see them give Arizona such a game without him, you you got to know they would have beat them down with him. It's hard to not figure that happening. So that was, that was a gut punch. 
but yeah, watch them lose the Super Bowl. I can, I can imagine that that would be tough too. It, it, and, it, and it was. You know, it had been a long time between Super Bowl appearances for the Niners, and and we had seen a lot of guys come and go, and and and, and Harbaugh had them ready to play. Uh, you know, had, had beaten the, the. You know, that year to make the Super Bowl, they went on a. They had a pretty good. They had to go to uh, Atlanta for the NFC Championship game. They had to win at Green Bay. Uh, so there's, I mean, there, there was not an easy road to, to get there, uh, but that was as far as sports losses go. And you know, Kentucky fans, you know, fellow fans may get on me, but that your team losing the Super Bowl, I put up there with with, with just about anything, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, even losing the 38 and 0, uh, uh, but that's but that that's that's my opinion uh, anyway. Uh, but with the Super Bowl coming up, I do like the two weeks in between because you really give your 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 teams enough time to really get healthy uh, for the big game. So I think that's uh, fantastic. Uh, it is my goal. It's one of my bucket list things to go to a Super Bowl. I would definitely love to to do that, um, but not one where my team was playing. And I know that sounds odd, but <laughs> when your team is not in the Super Bowl, you can watch the commercials. I'm tell, I watch yeah. the the Ravens and Forty ers My friend Ralph, who I need to get on the show. It was just two of us in his. Come on, Ralph. <laughs> Uh, there was just two of us in his basement with his big screen TV. I, tur- I don't even think I was tweeting at all during the game. And people know, you know, I'm at 93,000. I was I was watching the game. I'll be I'll be honest with you. I was watching the game. I was locked in, and and the the, the Super Bowl is so long. And then you know, for them to have the the blackout that they did during that game, it was terrible. It was. I mean, it was horrible with your team, with your team playing uh, in it. So, uh, hopefully, they get back. It's gonna take some work to get them back. Hopefully, Chip Kelly can do it, but we will, we will definitely see. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, that was fun. That was fun. It was. It wasn't. I mean, it was minor heavy, but I, I wasn't rolling my eyes at all that. Uh, like I thought I would well, just because I saw that tweet with, with Jay Rice jubilant. I was like, oh, boy. But that week, that was a good sex. Well, you, you know, and the, the thing was, I don't think people younger than us really understand how that four- or five-year stretch, how when when the Packers finally crashed through, and I want to say that they uh, – I think they beat the Niners in the playoffs, play the Cowboys, and go on to their first Super Bowl, I think. Don't hold me to it. But I think that was a big deal. And it was, could Brett Favre, uh, you know, could he kind of break that hold the Niners and and Cowboys had? Uh, For those folks that remember the John Madden football games on the Sega Genesis, and when you had the all-Madden teams, it was, okay, what number eight is it? You know, is, is the QB number one, is it Aikman, or is he throwing lefty, is it Steve Young? And then you had uh, 84, is it a tight end? Is it Novacek, or is it Brent Jones? 
and you had <laughs> Emmett Smith, and you had Ricky Waters. I mean, it was it, it was it was ridiculous how talented those teams were, and really, those games for that stretch and most of the NFC Championship games were better than the Super Bowl. Uh, I know we've had some pretty close Super Bowls here lately, but you know we had a lot of stinkers too. We had a lot of games where it was just okay. This is yeah. So you were paying more attention to the uh, to the commercials because the game wasn't very good. But I think the the real turning point outside of Super Bowl twenty five and Scott Norwood's miss uh, for Buffalo uh, was when you had the Titans and Rams. And, and, and Dyson coming up a yard short, then we start having a run of some pretty competitive games. Uh, but being old enough to remember the Niners losing the Super Bowl, uh, remembering them winning in blowout fashion over San Diego, and remembering Super Bowl Twenty Three, Joe Montana's drive against Cincinnati, uh, and also uh, the Forty Niners in Super Bowl Twenty Four. 55-10 over the Broncos. Give me a blowout every step. Give me a blowout. I'm not trying to have a good game. Blow them out. I'm not trying. Yeah. If your team in it, you don't you don't want a close game. If you do, you're a fool. Blow them out. Because the close game exactly. will take years off your life. Exactly. And it's kind of like when uh, in basketball, players and coaches, they want – practice to be harder than the actual game. The NFC title games, like you mentioned, were so much tougher than the actual Super Bowl for you know, my Cowboys and your Niners. Uh, that's how it was. It was it was so much to get through that title game. Well, you know, whoever's coming out of the AFC, you know, that's nothing. You know, Buffalo, it didn't matter how many Super Bowls in a row they've been to. You know, we just, Dallas just beat the 49ers to get there. It's nothing. The 49ers, when they ran up on the Chargers, that's nothing. They just had a tough game against the Cowboys uh, in the NFC title game. And then you saw what happened. You know, the Niners and Cowboys were, you know, blowing out those AFC squads when they got to the Super Bowl. Uh, we switched gears now because our guest, our first guest, is on the line right now. Uh, recruiting analyst for Scout.com uh, keeps his eye on UK football and Penn State as well. We have Mr. Patrick Loney joining us. Patrick, you're on Cat Talk Wednesday with Benny Hardy and Terry Brown. Appreciate you coming on. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah. Um, like we mentioned before you came on, Terry and I aren't huge recruiting guys as far as, you know, diving in and keeping up with it. I'm kind of see who we got when we get them, and then we kind of go from there. But we got National Signing Day coming up a week from today, which is, is crazy to believe that that's already here. I know you are um, keeping your eye on everything, but as far as U.K. is concerned, where do you uh, where do you see them as far as the class and what they're going to do uh, next week come signing day? As a class as a whole, I think it's probably Stoops' best class he's had in Kentucky. Um, I wouldn't really say we're ranked at. I mean, overall, maybe top 25, top 30 possibly. Um, 
a lot of that could change depending on who they hire for a uh, wide receiver coach and quality control coach because you never know. They might have connections and bring in light uh, commits possibly with the kids to come join them. So right now it's kind of a standstill to see who's actually going to be hired first. Right, right. And, and if we just kind of go back to uh, the end of last season, um, the move was made to change coordinators again. You know, Shannon Dawson was one and done. That was another five and seven season. Last year was year three for Mark Stoops. Did you see them making a bowl last year? Had a lot of home games. Uh, did you did you see last year going at least at the start being a six and six type year uh, going into it? I could see them finishing six or six, seven or five or something like that. But I mean, there's just a few plays away from being in a bowl this year. There's just been stuff in the Kentucky's way. It happens. But you know, uh, I think this is a learning process for the team and the coaches. You have to finish plays. You can't take plays off. You can't just lollygag out there on the field. You got to. Want it, and I think these new coordinators on the offensive side, it's going to the offense going to definitely improve. There is no you know, BS being allowed with Dawson as as coach. I mean, there's too much BS going on. Yeah, too much, too much going on with him. Um, and then of course we have Patrick Toll transferring uh, as well, and. Then we fast forward to, you know, we, we're looking for a coordinator again, and Eddie Grant, Darren Henshaw are both brought in. And we know next year is going to be an important year for Coach Stoops. How do you see those guys coming in and, and kind of having to hit the ground running? Do you think Coach Stoops trust them? Do you think they can get in and, and – implement their system with Kentucky's personnel, do you think it'll be a, a smooth transition on the fly? I do. Oh, I definitely do. I think these guys are true professionals. They are legit top-of-flight coaches. Uh, I don't see any problem with them adjusting their offensive schemes to the personnel they got. I think Kentucky's offense could be vastly improved since basically when Neil Brown took over three years ago. I mean, we're going to see probably the best offense in a long time. These three guys with the drain and Henshaw taking over. And Stiggers has got fully trust in both of them, or he wouldn't have hired them this time. And 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 Eddie's been around in, in the SEC. That that is good to know. Um you know, been at Auburn, been at Tennessee. Uh, the one year at Tennessee when he coached running backs, Montero Hardesty had a thousand yard season. Um, and seems like he's a no-nonsense guy. You, you mentioned some of the BS that was going on, and we had a few little shenanigans last year, so it looks like he's not going to come in and put up with any of that. And it's really a clean slate for all those guys to make a positive impression on him as he, as he comes in as a new coordinator. Yeah, you're exactly right. So he's Everyone's got a new resume, as he says, and this is your chance to either – Get a chance to play, 
or you're going to be sitting on the bench. So it's going to be that's the only th- choices you're going to have. Or you're going to get to look elsewhere. This is straight, no BS. This is how it's going to be. You like it or not. Right. It's, not, not your, it's not your choice. It's how it's going to be. Talking with Patrick Loney, recruiting analyst for Scout.com. As far as this year's class, we, we look back to last year, and it seemed like the staff was kind of scrambling. Uh, we saw some guys leave, and it looked like you know, things were a little shaky heading into signing day, and they were trying to have to run around and get guys and fill spots. Are things a little more stable this year? heading into signing day with, with they know what they've got and they know what their plan is heading into next week? Oh, yeah, this this class is a lot more stable than last year's class. Though. I think a lot of Ukraine's people trade tracks and Landon and Cash, they kind of was like leaders of this, of this class, and they've all kind of bought into what Stoops and the staff is basically selling, and uh, they really truly want to change this program for the better. And, and talk about those those three Kentucky guys. I mean, they they kind of turned the nation's head down at that All-Star game, but give us your thoughts on them as you kind of watch their career and, and watch them, uh, their path end up towards Kentucky. Your thoughts on them up to this point and, and how you think they'll do going forward as they start their college career at UK? Well, I think from just from following them over the years, I think, uh, you know, all three of them are really nice guys off the field. But when they're on the field and lights are on, it's game time, and they're taking no prisoners. They they got a mean streak. They're there to rip your head off. If you want to, you know, talk smack and all that, they're going to bring it on. Bring the best you got. Look, they'll go war with you, and that's what Kentucky needs. They need they need to stop the yakking away anymore. Shut up or put up, and that's what these kids are going to do. And that's what some Kentucky's been lacking. They've been they're good at talking smack. They're not good at packing it. And I think with Drake and Cash and Landon, they're going to be backing them with their talking. And as the future is like in Kentucky, I think those three are going to be key contributors to potentially next year. But I call it more like sophomore juniors. They'd be really changing this program around and. I definitely see Kentucky moving into a bowl season and potentially eight, nine-game win seasons. I think it's a legit possibility for how Steve is recruiting. You talking about eight or nine for year after next? Uh, I don't know about after next. I think maybe when those three guys are probably juniors and seniors, when okay. Steve get all his all his guys in the program and they all understand what what they expected. With all the new facilities and like the train facility, I think it's all gonna kind of come and like it's hard to explain, but it'd be where everything comes together what it's supposed to be, and we're gonna see Kentucky football like we never seen it before. Do you think that that Drake Jackson would it be better if the staff could redshirt him? You're, I mean, you got John Tolt at center. Uh, you got Tate Levitt, the junior college guy coming in, and, and uh, Landon coming in as well. You think it would be beneficial if he's able to redshirt? Or do you think they're just going to put him on right on in, uh, right off the bat? Or what do you think as far as, as, far as Drake Jackson is concerned? 
I think it's going to depend a lot how he uh, adjusts to the new offense and how he performs during the spring ball. If he does really well, I can see him playing this year or some kind of season. But if not, I can still see him getting a red shirt. Because, uh, you know, Stoops is not going to play a freshman right out there in the SEC unless he really, really can do it. And I, that's not that's not following Drake at all because I think he's really, really good. It's just going to be how it depends on how he performs in spring ball if he's going to be playing this upcoming season or not. Right. Um, and this the season opener uh, against Southern Miss, we all know how that came to be, you know, with UAB doing away with their football program and, you know, Kentucky having to to look for another opponent and it comes to be Southern Miss. And the general thought was, whoo, that's, that's a tough matchup. They're coming off a strong season, won nine games. Ugh, I don't know about the Cats' chances. But now their coach has just been hired away by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so now they're scrambling to, to find a coach right before signing day. Uh, a little bit of instability going on down there at Southern Miss. Do you see that changing? The uh, the perception of Kentucky's chances or the toughness of the matchup uh, with them having to, you know, a new guy uh, leading them come September? I don't know if it's going to really change perception because it's really the same team, same players. Uh, basically, same commits. I don't think they have lost any commits, maybe one or two. I haven't really followed their recruiting as much, but I know there was one kid, Kentucky, was recruiting. Uh, but I think he kind of tweeted out yesterday or day before that he was basically done with recruiting. He was solid at a southern match. But I don't really see much of a change. Maybe just just the coaching staff at it. But as players and team, no. Kentucky's going to have to bring their A game and not be uh, BS around. They're going to have to play football for 15 minutes to win that game. Right. And. Um, Kind of like last year playing Louisiana Lafayette or Lafayette or whatever they want to go by, that team was coming off of a, a strong season as well, and Kentucky literally had to play 60 minutes to beat them. You know, got a got a big lead, had a chance to knock them out and didn't, and then had to uh, to, to to hustle and, and work them. So. Uh, if they're not careful, it could be a similar situation because these these um, these teams are coming in wanting to open their season with a win over that SEC spot. Exactly. Uh, you know they're going to come in hungry and ready to pounce on Kentucky. Kentucky's got to come in ready. Okay, just because you're coming in our house means uh, you're going to win. They got to come in here and protect their stadium and you know wear that blue and white with some pride and play 60 minutes. And you just can't lollygag and take plays off. Like you did this past season to win games. You're going to have to play. If you're not going to play, Stoops, Elliott, and Graham, and Henshaw will hit your butt on the bench and you put somebody else in there. Exactly. Now, Patrick, I know that you, um, of course, recruiting analyst with Scott.com. You contribute uh, to the UK site, uh, wildcast.com. Uh, 
Uh, my final question is about Penn State because you, you watch them as well and, and contribute for fightonstate.com. They recently lost their defensive coordinator, Bob Shute, to Tennessee. Uh, he had turned down Auburn and some other schools in the past, but he said yes to Butch Jones and the ball. So for James Franklin now going forward, he's got to give him a new defensive coordinator. Shute's defenses are ranked pretty strong in his time there. <clears throat> Do you see them having a drop-off, or are they going to continue to maintain their, their pretty stout defenses in that Big Ten going forward? Or does it depend on who James Franklin hires? Uh, actually, I think James Franklin's already hired. He actually promoted the linebacker coach, uh, Brent Pride, to defense coordinator. And then he hired Tim Banks, who's actually was Illinois' coach. But uh, he hired him away. We made him co-defense coordinator and safety coach. But it a lot of depends on how Penn State's defensive line shapes up because they've lost a lot of players from this past year's team. And if uh, they can't really replace them, I don't see Penn State's defense being as good and as stout as they've been uh, with Shoup. It's not just because Shoup's a good coach. I mean, he's really good, but he had a lot of talent that he had could easily coach up in this following season. He's not going to have the talent. I think that's part of the reason why he left for Tennessee. Because he knew Tennessee had all that talent and he had to recruit a bunch of talent in. He came in with talent already ready to go. All he had to do was just coach him up. Ah. All righty. So, and now he sounds like maybe made the move at the right time. Um, And he's getting over a million plus a year to come to Tennessee, so uh, making good money and still going to have a, a pretty strong uh, defensive unit down here in Knoxville. So good for him, and we'll see how it plays out uh, for those guys. But, Patrick, man, we certainly appreciate you hopping on and giving us your insight. Uh, everybody in Big Blue Nation is, is anxiously awaiting the football season, uh, wanting to see – uh, a good balanced offense or offense that puts up some points uh, and an offense that just executes well. We, we, we So many drops last year from the receivers, uh, protection issues from the offensive line. It was always just something that was holding everything down. Sometimes it was more than one thing at the same time that just wasn't right, uh, whether it be you know quarterbacks throwing inaccurate passes or protection or drops or all of it, you know, so, you know, we just want to see Coach Grant and Henshaw come in and and kind of uh, work out some of these kinks that we saw in the offense. There is some talent on that side of the ball, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing it hopefully uh, take off and work well for them. Well, I, I definitely agree with the way everything you just said. I think, you know, this new style offense is going to really benefit this team because I don't think the whole air raid was really going to work that well from the beginning. Uh, but, right. You know, you got to do, you got to try things, try new things out. But I think with Green here, Shaw, I think this offense has to personnel a lot better than air raid. And like you said, those issues are going to be solved one way or another. You're not going to have those throwing hand mistakes and drops, protection issues. That's just not going to happen anymore. And if it does, you know, someone's going to get yelled at. Or they'll get benched. It's gonna be one way or the other. Just it's not gonna be tolerated. 
Well, Patrick, we certainly appreciate you hopping on. And uh, we'd love to get you on again sometime, talk some more recruiting, talk some more football uh, later on down the road. But thanks so much for hopping on the show with us this evening, man. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for being here, Patrick. Thanks. Patrick Maloney, recruiting analyst at scout.com, getting us prepped for signing day. Uh, we look forward to that, see what the cats do. Um, I meant to ask him about, about Stephen Johnson, the JUCO quarterback that's coming in. Uh, he's supposedly going to be a guy that's going to come in and compete with Drew Barker uh, and could possibly win the job. He's familiar with the stuff Eddie Grant likes to do, so I want to keep our eye on that as well. It's not just really Drew Barker just stepping in and, you know, it's his baby. It's going to be a competition. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. It'll be spring ball time before we know it. Uh, and as of right now, it's time for a VA, Derek Anderson, before we know it. Uh, we'll take a quick break, play a quick song, and in a few minutes we'll have Mr. Derek Anderson on, former UK and NBA guard, star, champion at both levels, Louisville native, Mama Brown's in the house, Terry Brown's got questions, I got questions. going to be a lot of fun. We'll take a quick break, play a quick song. You're listening to Cat Talk Wednesday with Vinnie Hardy and Terry Brown on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. Cat 
guard for the Cats, NBA player, a champion at both levels. We're talking about none other than Mr. Derek Anderson, D.A. You're on Cats Talk Wednesday with Benny Hardy, Terry Brown, and Mama Brown, Miss Brown in the house. How you doing tonight, sir? I'm on well. How's everybody doing? We're, we're doing good. Now, before we get too involved in it, uh, Derek, you spoke to the Jefferson County retired teachers back in December, and my mom is a retired teacher, and you were oh. able to sign your book, Stamina for her. So you have become her favorite Kentucky basketball player ever. So before me and I get to talk to you, I've got Mama Brown in the house that wants to talk to you real quick. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Hi, Derek. How are you? How are you doing, Ms. Brown? I'm doing great. Terry is holding up his finger saying, make it quick, because it's a sports <laughs> show. And I just told him that I really wanted to say again, thank you for coming to Uvale University Club to talk to the Jefferson County retired teachers uh, back in December. I thank you yes. so much. I appreciate all the kind things you said about teachers because we are a group that take a whole lot of flack <laughs> and get very little praise, but I wanted to thank you for your message that day. Thanks so much. Aww. Have a good, pleasant evening, and, and I'll see you, you soon. Yes, ma'am, and thank you so much. You Trust me, you saved a lot of lives. You might not get awards for it, but you, you definitely made a difference, so thank you. Thank you. Okay, Terry. All right. That, that that was when I told Mama Brown we were having Derek on, she said, I want to talk to him. He said, and you all know, you can't, tell, you can't tell Mama no. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> hey, you, you you scared me kind of telling Mama Brown to make it quick. She can take as much time she won't now. No, now, that's right. I was worried for you. <laughs> I, I was worried. I was like, man, he, don't be rushing. Don't be telling Mama to hurry up. Just let her take her time. She wants that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, man, uh, DA, man, we ever since we started this show uh, a year or so ago, we said, man, we got to try to get DA on. And we had talked about it, and it's happening tonight. And just thank you so much for hopping on, man. We really appreciate it. And it's just honored to have you on talking with us, man. No problem. Now, you, you yeah, said you just finished up practice. You finished up practice. So tell us about the coaching and how practice went. We'll start with that real quick. Oh, it was good, man. Just teaching them how to think. You know, you watch basketball, it's literally digressed. And, and it's all because of uh, it's a uh, culmination of a lot of things, you know. Parents just let them do what they want. I mean, these kids don't even have haircuts. You know, our parents wouldn't let us walk out like that. I think parents are saying, you know, self-expression, they're just letting them do too much instead of giving them a guide. And I think that's the difference. I want to have my kids have an understanding that, you know what, you know, how, how you present yourself is how people receive you. You know, you might think it's cool and fits in, but people don't always take the same respect, you know, as a person. And you don't want to, you don't have, people are not going to like you all the time, but if they respect you, you can't have so much more than that. And I think that's what I try to teach my kids. Even though they're in the sixth grade, they have a lot of growing up left, and I want to give them something now so they can take with them and, and be beneficial later in life. So practice is great. The kids are getting better. Uh, we're teaching fundamentals in basketball. 
two-hand pass. You got guys that can't even ball fake in, in college and NBA. If you ball fake a guy with the ball, he might move. You know, you have to take advantage of the mental part of it. So our kids are getting that, and, and they're having a lot of fun while playing basketball. And speaking of growing up, having a lot of growing up left, you had to grow up maybe faster than a normal kid growing up did, right? So you're trying to kind of do the same thing for these kids. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I did. Uh, but, again, it took teachers, took my neighborhood people, you know, just to, to give me that confidence, to, to uh, encourage me, speak positively, those type of things to, to help me do that. So um, being abandoned at 11 years old was pretty much a struggle, but I worked hard, I did jobs, was polite, and did my schoolwork, and I wound up surviving. So it took a lot of things to happen for me to make that, but I kept working hard. That's a big key in life, like quitting. Exactly. Go ahead, TB, man. I know I probably was about to talk over you, so let me let you jump in there too. Well, Anytime, bro. Well, I, I, I wrote a piece on Wildcat Blue Nation a couple of years ago. For all the things that you've done on the court, you've won championships, you've been part of great teams, I think the, the things you're doing off the court have had even more of a lasting impact with your stamina message, your, your talking to different groups, as we heard. You, you you really touched a lot of, of former teachers with your message and everything. So you've just been an inspiration to a lot of people since you hung up your shoes. Yeah, well, that's the key. You know, you, basketball was just a job. It wasn't a career. My career is to help other people. You know, that means you have something that's lasting longer than just your basketball. There are going to be a bunch of basketball players that you just see come and go. As you can see, like in our University of Kentucky, they come and go, but what are they doing for other people that's going to last other people's lifetimes? You know, me helping other people is going to help one of these other kids are going to help someone else, and that just continues to go. You don't want to just leave and take, take, take all the time. I want to leave something behind. So it's uh, it's definitely a gift that I'm able to do that and share with other people. And, and, and part of that was my, my girls play basketball, and actually uh, they're playing in, in the Boss High School gym that now has your signature on it. So uh, I was able to kind of tell your story to some of those kids, and 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 you know it is it's very inspirational to not give up on your. It's a very powerful message. Oh yeah, you definitely can't do that. I'm walking in Dawson now, <laughs> and it's uh <laughs> it's it's fun to be back, man. But me not giving up, I never would have thought that I would have the same gym that I sleep on actually be my name. So it's it's definitely a gift. And again, if you just don't quit, you won't lose. You know, just keep fighting through it. And I think that's the difference in how we see life. And, and just from your, your your tweets and your Instagram messages, uh, your are pro teacher, which gets you a, a lot of bonus points in this hell, uh, but also holding people accountable. Like you said earlier with the haircuts, holding kids accountable. Uh, you know, when we grow up, and we're all kind of in the same ballpark, uh, you know, everybody – could could give you some advice, and it wasn't a thing. But kids these days, it, it doesn't seem to work that way. No, it doesn't. But, again, it takes a culmination of things. Like, you can't just allow things to happen. You know, remember back in the day when your school, you would get bad grades, your parents would have to come in, and, yeah. you know, they would be all on the kids. But now it's like the, they think they're saying, well, the school teachers are terrible. Like, your son's the one fighting and acting out in school. How is the, how's the teacher bad? You know, right. I just think it takes – it's just so many bad things that these young parents and 
the way the world is and the government. I mean, you can't spank your kid, but then you say the discipline is when they go in trouble, they, they get in trouble and it affects the rest of their life. And that's the problem that we have. We got to start doing things that you can you can change your life at this young age. So when they get older, they can handle it. Definitely, and that's that's what you have right there on the site. You know, familyone dot com. You you win a hundred percent of the times you don't quit, and it, you just when you just mm-hmm. stop and think about that, you know, it, it just makes so much sense. But it you know. Uh, mm-hmm. We overthink things, or That's people give up and then throw your hands up and and give, and give up. But just stop and think about what you got right there on the site, and it's just so much truth there. Yeah, it is, and it's very simple. If, you know, if you never quit, how you 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 get you lose? You don't. The whole fact is, you kept fighting, you kept fighting, you kept fighting, and then you look up and you're like, "Wow, I got it done." You know, if somebody yeah. tells you, you "Tell my kids," you know, if you take the trash out. You say dad's upset. It's like, well, if you took the trash out, as soon as I said it, take you two minutes, your dad's fine the rest of the, the 18 hours, the rest of the day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you well, avoided that. But because there's no accountability on that, these kids just do whatever they want. And we got we to gotta work that out. So, it, it, so, and, so that's the big key. Mama Brown's nodding because my dad used to get on me about not getting the trash cans in. So we're right there, right there with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, man. We, now we we oh go ahead, Kenny. I'm sorry. We we have all we're all about the same age. We have all lived what you just said with, you know, our our parents telling us, uh, if you know, if you do it right the first time, you wouldn't be back here two or three times redoing it. We've all seen Friday, uh, where Mr. Jones say, you know, how come you didn't uh, get up and take out the trash? I wish you would sleep right now. I hit you so hard with a right hook and make you beat up and take out the trash. We've all been there. We've, right, right. Yeah. we've all been there. So that's why we can't help but just laugh at what you said because mm-hmm. don't be half doing stuff. Get on and get it done, and yeah. then you can go on about whatever else you got to do. We have all three of us lived every single thread of that. Mm-hmm. Well, not me. I did it early. I did mine. I, I learned early. Hey, just do it. <laughs> it. I was a little bit slow. Uh, before I let Mama get, Brown get back on the phone, I was a little slow. It took me a little bit longer to learn that lesson, but I'm glad I did. Yes. Absolutely. Speaking of, of getting it done, Derek, Terry and I talk all the time about, about the 9016, uh, about the killer instinct that you all had, and, and we've seen – not only this year's Kentucky team uh, be a little bit different away from Rupp Arena, you know, have a little more struggles on the road. A lot of teams are, are having that, trying where they're trying to find themselves. What was it about you guys to where, I mean, you went right into an opposing gym and just shut them up and, and kept the other team's crowd quiet? What was it that was kind of different about you guys in that respect? Well, I think the, the number one thing that it's been said and has been proven over years and years and years is the leadership. You know, I mean, you looked at from the Fat Five when they had those young freshmen. You know, they needed leadership. You know, even though they had all that talent, they still needed leadership to finish games. And they couldn't. And who would other teams want? The teams who had leadership. And I think with our team, we had Tony Delta Sr., Walter McCarty Sr., Martin Post Sr., so when we needed to calm down, and I was a junior and I had been through the trenches into Big Ten, it was like we had everyone to calm us down, to know what was doing. Coaches yelling, but we all knew how to focus. You see when coach, some of these other coaches yell, these players just get into a uh, – they get frustrated and they just – they can't think. They're so upset, they can't even think. 
Well, with us, we, we as players, we said, hey, let's get together, let's calm down, and let's go destroy these guys. And that was our mindset. If you put it in your mind and not just play with people, you will beat people. But you look at most guys and be like, let me go. I haven't shot in five minutes. You know, some games guys on our team wouldn't get a shot. Wayne Turner wouldn't even get a shot. But he played hard for every minute he was in that game. And that's because if you don't play hard, you won't play. And I think these young kids don't don't have that threat. They're like, hey, I'm playing. I'm an All-American. If I don't play, I'll transfer. You know, so they feel entitled. But when we felt like, you know what, we have to work hard. And I think, again, that's leadership. It comes from the top to the bottom. If you have leadership, you'll have that in their mind. And, and, our, and again, experience. If you don't have experience, how can you know what to do? <laughs> it's very difficult. And, and I'm glad you said that. You know, for all of the uh, highly touted recruits that Cal has brought in, his dominant teams have had one or two upperclassmen to really set that tone. You know, last year's team, you know, Willie Collistein was a junior. You know, it was an older team, uh, had some older guys to kind of set that set that tone. And the teams without it, like kind of this year's team, doesn't really have that vocal upperclassman leader. Those are the ones that struggle a little bit. You know, they may mm-hmm. eventually get it, but you see that, that, that start to finish when you've got a little bit older guys on the team as well. Yeah, that's very true. If you remember the 2015 we won, you remember who was the leader? Darius Miller. What was he? Yep. A senior. He hit down big threes. He rung the ball up. He slowed him down. He gave the point guard the ball. He said, slow down. You know, and that's the way he played. He was a senior. He'd been through it. He'd seen the ups and downs. He said, let me get this team together. And he knew he wasn't a lottery pick. He wasn't the number one pick like Anthony Davis. But he knew he had to play the right way for the team in order for the team to do well. So I think you just need that leadership, and that's the key. If we can find that leadership and get someone to do it, we'll be all right. And, and uh, I'm glad you said that, but let me just say, my dad, who, who passed away this past summer, you broke his heart when you transferred from Ohio State to Kentucky. Oh, uh, <laughs> because, and, and, you know, people our age growing up in Louisville, there weren't a lot of uh, black Kentucky fans. So the, when you said you were coming home, a lot of people assumed that, to Louisville, but you know we're we're certainly glad you ended up in Lexington. Say it again. I couldn't. It went out. Say it again. I couldn't hear you. I'm sorry. Your phone. Oh, I just said when you were at Ohio State and you and you came back, you broke you broke some people's hearts. Not. Yeah, I remember that the dad part. Yeah. Uh, to 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 U of L, but we are certainly oh. glad that you came to Kentucky. <laughs> well, you know the little L story was. I grew up was thinking about I wanted to play there, and this is that. And Coach Patino told me that he didn't have any more scholarships. So I was like, okay, well, I don't, I don't even worry about it. I respect that. He didn't want me to walk on, but I'm like, nah, I'm good. Uh, and uh, Denny Crum was like, he repeated, he signed all those guards, and I said, well, just let me know if you're on a red shirt. You know, I still want to come. And he never said anything the entire week. So once Randy Harris came and. I went to Ohio State, and then I transferred because they were going on probation at Ohio State. I was like, well, I can't go back to Louisville because he's still the coach, and I don't trust him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if he, don't tell me, if he doesn't tell me he's going to register me, I don't, I don't trust him. You know, I think he's a great coach, great player, great guy that I met him, Coach Crum, but if you're not going to be honest and upfront with me, I can't play for you. And I said, you know what, I'm going to Kentucky. Rod Rose is about to leave. I was like, this is going to be a perfect fit, play with Tony Delta. Me and him was in the McDonald's game, so – it was just a perfect fit for me. Coach said, whatever you want, how you play is the way we play. You play hard defense and you get to play hard offense. And that's all I needed to hear. And, and I'm glad because all these young people that don't remember, 
you had, I think, two or three of the best in-game dunks I have seen a Kentucky player make. The one on <laughs> Nate Johnson that you, you, uh-huh. you sized him up and you got parallel to the ground, and, you know, that was a game at Freedom Hall. That was right. that was an exclamation point to, hey, I made the right decision. Right. <laughs> Now I'm, I'm gonna piggyback yes, I on definitely that. Made the right decision. <laughs> I'm gonna piggyback on that because I know that you still get love for that play, uh, and I, I know people still remember it. We do. Everybody does. Uh, I've I've written articles about it. I've written you know my my top UK dunks of all time, and you are all up in my top ten. And that Nate Johnson dunk is my number one of all time, I'm going to kind of ask you to combine, you know, get the, the Nate Johnson dunk against Louisville, the dunk you got against Indiana, and then when you moved on up to the NBA, you got all the great shot blockers of the day. You, you got a nasty one on Sean Bradley. <laughs> you you got yeah. the Kimbe Mutombo and also Theo Ratliff. Of those five, mm-hmm. which one do you personally is is the nastiest one? Oh, uh, you're there. It was personal. I, don't, I think okay. I got some in the NBA that were better. I got some in the NBA that were better dunks, but because it was against you, that was the best one. <laughs> and, and I remember, I remember you you sized him up. Uh, you know, when you go back and look at that highlight, it was that moment where, as a fan, you say, "I know what's coming. This is what's coming." And then, and then when you're able to deliver on it, you know that that was fantastic for me. Also, being from Louisville, going to uh, Kentucky, kind of being in the same boat, I, I, I was it's like I was right there dunking with you. So I certainly <laughs> understand that. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a difference. Speaking of Louisville and and the NBA, but we both got you know so many things we want to ask you. But both of you guys being Louisville guys. Uh, do you you think Louisville should have an NBA team, UDA, and, and would it would Louisville be a good NBA city if if there was ever to be a franchise there? The thing about it is Louisville's a great basketball city. Uh, they'll support any basketball, but the problem is, well, they support it long enough. Because if you get to losing, uh, you can guarantee people won't show up. I mean, people will be like, nah, that's that's enough for me. I'm done. And that's what the problem is. You got so many people out here like that. And that's what you don't want to run into, where you you run into a situation where the team is struggling, and all of a sudden financially, it's just a it's a bearing on the city. You already see right now with the young center how how much strain sometimes that can put on financially for the city. So uh, I think it's uh, I think it'll be great for the city, but I just don't think that we because we're a college town, so I don't think we'll have so many fans support it like they would the college atmosphere. That's just my personal opinion. Hmm. That's interesting. And I would, I would, I would agree with that. That is, is there enough long-term interest? You know, the thing is with the with the Lakers struggling and the Celtics have struggled. Those fan bases are set. Oh but yeah, they it, have nothing to prove anymore. Right. So those fans will stay will stay through thick and thin. Even you know the mm-hmm. Knicks and you know how they've had things going. But if you get a a new franchise or a franchise that's moved. And they're struggling. I don't think there'd be enough of that goodwill from the fans to to sustain it through those lean times. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. 
I don't think. I, I really don't think so. I think the again. I think the city will come watch it. I mean, you watched. It didn't even sell out when the Miami Heat came to town. You know what I mean? So it's like, like if you got your own team and they don't show up, you know, that's gonna look real bad. Right. Right. Now, was there a time, Da, talking with former cat Derek Anderson? Was there a time? I'll go NBA where maybe early in your career that you were you were just out there in awe where you kind of starstruck and had to kind of, whoa, let me get myself together. i got to play a game and, and not be in awe of whoever I am on the court with right now. Nah, not really. I, I didn't feel in awe at all. I, just, you know, I was just being blessed to be a part of it. But that was it. You know, I was just excited that I could do that. And that's the thing that I was trying to do. Just making sure that I had everything that I needed, and and uh, just blessed to be on that team. That was it. I was just just thankful. And the team you were blessed to be a part of initially was Cleveland, where you started your career out, and you were playing for for Mike Fratello. And this was back where he was he was all about that defense and and kind of slowing it down and grinding. Did that take some getting used to, or was that something that the, the players on that squad at the time were really fans of, or what was your what was your thoughts on it? Well, we were fans because we all wanted to win, and you forget most of us went to college, so we weren't like these one-and-dones or freshmen out of high school, just young kids. We had already been taught discipline and defense, but we've all come from coaches who say, hey, play defense, play hard, so it wasn't like you were just getting paid to play. You know, we actually had to play hard, and, and that was just part of it, so you know, I was used to it and everything, and it was it was great that we could do that. And, uh, again, we had veteran guys, we had older guys, and it was a mixture. Like, I was a rookie, but I was a senior. And then you had guys like Sean Kim, who have been in the league seven, eight years. So uh, I had a mixture of people Bob here, been in the NBA for a few years. So it was just a mixture, and that's why I think it worked really well. Um, and your thoughts now – you know, a few years later to the way the game is now. Number one, your thoughts on, on the Warriors and, and the small ball and their style of play. Uh, what do you think watching that, how they're kind of just killing the league right now? Well, I love watching because they play basketball. They pass it. They move it. Everyone touches it. People are like, Steph's killing. Steph averages 30 points, but they score 120. So where's the other 90 points coming? <laughs> you know, so it's just great to watch that everyone plays basketball. It's not one or two guys dribbling it out of the ball, waiting on a dunk, not passing to the open guy. It's great to see good team basketball. That's what I love watching. I love to watch those guys. You know, Christmas Day, Mark Jackson, you know, talked about the quote, you know, Steph is hurting the league because now all kids want to do is run to the three-point line and spot up. What did you think when he when he said that when he made that statement? That's coaching. Again, that is coaching. If you don't have anybody to coach, then that's what they're gonna do. Don't let them do it. But what happened here is the coaches say, "Hey, he's the best player on my team, so I'm gonna let him do whatever he wants." And then that's what happened. And then you also have to deal with parents who say, "Hey, my kid can play." And then you watch him play, and he gets killed, and it's like, "Well, he's better than the rest of the team." So it's always something that you know you never can can, can actually coach and teach these kids the truth. You know, and that's the problem. People don't want to hear the truth about their kid, and then the coach is trying to keep a job. So if you're not winning, you're not getting the type of recruits, you're not going to keep a job. So I think that's the biggest issue that you have. 
in well, I had one more. Um yeah, and well and I thought even back in the day, you know, Nick Van Exel, you know, he would he it won it'd be one on three and he would pull up and, and shoot a three. And and usually he would make it, but I didn't see him I didn't see Steph as being the reason that that's going on today. I think it's even happening even before now, with before the Warriors. And and I hate that play. If you got a three on one <laughs> and the best shot you get is a three pointer, that's a that's a bad yeah. fast break in my mind. But I'm old. No, it is. Yeah, but it is. But again, this is a new era that we're in. So that's the problem we're dealing with. You got a new era. You got a new place of basketball. And and remember, just a couple of years ago, the NBA didn't have any shooters. You you had that Ray Allen could still play in the league because he could shoot. Hell, I could have came back because I could shoot. It's just playing the other side of the ball. They had zero shooters. Right. And that's the difference in the in the eras now. You just had guys who couldn't shoot and guys who can't shoot. Now you got a team that can shoot, and that's why they're beating everyone because they got shooters. Hmm. Yeah. Most of those guys wouldn't even be on. Most of those guys wouldn't even get run on the other team, on another team. But because they got shooters, they get opportunity. Well, you played early in your career down in San Antonio when Greg Popovich was getting started as a head coach. What what was Pop like? I mean, we've seen his success and you know through the years. What was it like playing for a young Pop? And and who was your favorite coach to play for in the NBA? Come two point question. Uh, well, definitely Popovich is one of the best coaches I ever played for. I think. Uh, I played for him and Pat Riley. They were the best, you know, prepared to play, you know, prepared to coach. And uh, that's what I liked about it most. You know, those guys actually had a mindset of understanding team basketball. Popovich was a great guy. knew how to rest you and everything. So I really love playing for Popovich. Um, the thing you learn the most about is, again, playing team basketball. If you look at San Antonio, they got a bunch of old guys. And all those guys with Patty Mills and all those guys, they wouldn't even get picked up on other teams. But because they know how to play is the reason why they can play. Like, to me, Tony Parker's not the best form guard, but because he's playing in a system and he understands how to use it, they know how to use him. So you're getting you're getting a coach that understands how to use the play. Because Atlanta got a bud who's an assistant in San Antonio, and look what they're doing. They're winning right. because of the coaching style, not because of talent. All those guys have been on other teams, but they never won those 60 games like that. Right. And I you know think I mean? they got so, they got and they got Splitter and they, they got a few of those Spurs guys to come over to Atlanta to to kind of keep it rolling. And you know, he already already familiar with the system, and, and now they got it going in Atlanta. Yep. yep, that's all it takes. What was your favorite city? Your favorite NBA city, and what was your favorite arena to play in? Uh, actually, I didn't have a favorite arena because I liked a lot, but I love I love New York because it was the history of it. If you go to New York Gardens, the, the Gardens, it was just like, wow, I love that. You know, then scoring 29 in there the first time, but yes, I love New York. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, but I think, but I think the best thing about uh, my favorite team, I think, was San Antonio. The city was great, and was great. It was an awesome place, awesome place. I love Portland too. Portland was great. People in Portland were like they were like real human beings. Like if you even play sports, they spoke, they were nice, they were kind. I think those two were one of the favorite cities. And nobody it's just a city nobody really knows about, you know, because it's just so far out there out west. It's just kinda underrated and just quiet, isn't it? 
Yeah, super quiet, but it was a great place, great place. Who was the toughest defender for you on a consistent basis throughout your career, maybe a guy that you know was going to make you work uh, as far as a matchup? Everybody's athletic and can jump, and, and, you know, you talk about the fundamentals and executing. Who was it for you? You know, you heard Jordan talk about Mitch Richmond and, and those guys. Who was it a guy that kind of you knew, uh-oh, was going to be a tough fight? Well, see, when I played, it was like that against everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like... I mean, you had two guards that was all over the place. John Starks was a monster guard. Derek Harper used to hand-check me and guard me. You know, I played against, I mean, it was some guys who were tough. I think, you know, Roger Bell got in the league later. It was just a lot of guys that knew how to guard people. And I think that was the biggest difference. I didn't really have one guy, just so many of them. But I I know Mitch Richmond was the hardest person I had to guard. And Jordan was in wow. his career and only had to guard him like three times. But Mitch Richmond, he would post you up, bang you, push you. Or Jordan was just trying to get his shot off. He wasn't really trying to push yeah. him and bang until you. They called him Rock for a reason, didn't they? Man, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that dude was a bull. Now, I know uh, I was tweeting with you a few weeks ago. Um, you got to go down and, and, and hang out with Coach Saban and, and speak with the team and, and talk about stamina and all that. What was what was that like interacting with him and, and getting to, to tell your story and, and the product and everything that you're about now after basketball to the Alabama squad that just won a national championship? Well, it was great because uh, what they did was they listened. What they did was they listened, and that's the thing. Um they had a great mindset. You know, a coach already put it in their minds. Like, if you listen, you learn. That's how you get better. And I and I really appreciate it. Coach Saban was great. Inviting me back to games. I mean, official alumni now. So, I'm excited. You know, it was just a blessing to be a part of that. And I, I just happened to be watching, I think it was Paul Feinbaum's show comes on afternoon. And, you know, mm-hmm. they were just joined this, this one little snippet of his press conference. And it was in the middle of the season, and he just mentioned it. And we had we brought Derek Anderson in to talk to the team. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, was, I said, let me tweet yep. the game right quick. And, and then yeah. uh, we talked with another guy from the Alabama media to get you the clip of it so you could see what he was saying. So I, I just thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was funny. And he had Morris Claret, a bunch of other people in there, and didn't mention them. So I feel like what I told him was, you know, was something – good for him, and I think it went a, went a long way. And that just speaks to the to the impact that you're having and, and all the good things you're doing. And like you said, basketball is a job, but you're all about helping people, and your actions are are living up to it. You're not just lip service saying that. You're actually out there doing mm-hmm. it doing day in, day out. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what matters. Got to get it done. Well, D.A., man, we just just appreciate everything and uh, and congratulations on everything that you are doing and the example that you are setting and the impact that you are having. And we just thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to hop on the show and, and talk about it with us. Okay, well, no problem, man. Appreciate that. We, we certainly guys appreciate have a show. it. And Mama Brown says you take care. Okay. Right, take care, Mama Brown. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. All right, guys. Have a good Thanks, one. Thanks, D.A. You too, sir. Right, Appreciate no it.
Derek Anderson on Cast Talk Wednesday. Just had him on the show, TB. Talked about everything, man. That was – and Mama Brown, D.A. and Mama Brown, are you kidding me? Like Reggie Miller said, are you kidding me? But, you know, it, it, took, it took us two years of doing this to finally get Mama Brown uh, on the show, but – uh, she was more. She was excited about uh, what what Derek has been doing, you know, since he since he's hung up the laces. And uh, it's not just lip service when he talks about these things. He's actually doing it, and and that's what separates him from a lot of other folks that just just talk the talk. Uh, I mean, he's always if you follow him on Twitter and Instagram and everything, he's talking. He's not only talking to. Uh, Alabama's football team. He, he's 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 talking to to little kids. He he's he's spreading that message, uh, and he, he's walking the walk. And that's what I think he's doing more after basketball than he you know even when he was great on the court. So definitely, I think uh, the, the the Big Blue Nation can really be proud that uh, you know Denny Crum dropped the ball on this one. Uh, I think he's. <laughs> Because <laughs> Derek is a great representative of 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 that. I, I meant to. Uh, I know we didn't have him very long, but I meant to ask him. You know, if he, how he reached out to uh, Nerlens Noel when he had his injury and, and Poitras last year, and he had his injury. Uh, you know, he's still big blue. You know, when you see his posts, he he is he is he is big blue, and uh, definitely glad we were able to to get him on because he is busy. He is all over the place, and, and to get him, uh, that's just fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and like you said, it's, it's hard to do, to be just as, if not more impressive, post-basketball with all the things he's doing than he was while he was playing. And, and he, you know, won a title at UK, won a title at the NBA, and now everything he's doing post-basketball, uh, that just speaks volumes. And it speaks that we got to step our guest game up like we did tonight if we want to have Mama Brown listening. That's what that's, that's what I'm gathering. And she's like, I ain't, you know, she's like, y'all ain't, y'all ain't got nobody I want to listen to. Oh, D.A., okay. I'll listen to Cats Up Wednesday tonight. So, hey, we now we know where the bar is going forward. Yeah. Now, Mama Brown, now, if, if, now, Mama Brown, now, she, now everybody that she knows knows about the show because you know when we got those cars, man, she passed them out. So she, everybody knows she knows what's going on, but she had to, <laughs> she, she knew she had to speak uh, to Derek. Uh, but yeah, definitely glad, and, and Patrick too, to have him come on. So we've had, this has been another great uh, guest night uh, on the show. Absolutely, and uh, I'm gonna get some more cards made out uh, soon. I just gave, I still have some, and I'm giving out. I just gave my sister a handful yesterday. She was down visiting and popped in, and uh, she still lives in Southeast Kentucky, but she's a nurse, so she works in Lexington. I, I joke with her and say she's as close to retired as she can be because she works every other weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, three twelve-hour shifts, and then she goes back to uh, to Harlan County, where where we were born and raised, 
every other weekend she's back and forth in Lexington. So I know she's going to start getting the cards out to people at home and in Lexington up there at St. Joe's East where she's at in and around Lake Vegas. She's going to start handing them out. My dad is just like Mama Brown. Uh, my dad's handing them out to everybody. Uh, my mother-in-law, she goes to, uh, to different restaurants and she just does live entertainment. And she plays and sings uh, a lot of old school soul and blues type stuff. Anytime she sees Kentucky fans, sometimes she'll be in North Carolina playing. She'll go to Gatlinburg. She goes to different areas and, and, and gets booked to provide entertainment on, you know, on the weekends. As soon as she sees a UK fan, she is like, look, check out my son-in-law's show. She is handing them out, too. So, uh, Tina Cox has some cards. I know she's handing them out in Danville. So, uh, we are we're trying to do our thing. Now, uh, that reminds me, the best part of the Vanderbilt game was I was actually able to, to sit with uh, Johnny Pittman, who we know is, is uh, Cameron Mills' partner in crime on the Mills show, uh, and and Tina was there as well, so uh, we were able the the three of us sitting there uh, causing all kinds of trouble on the uh, uh, media row there at Rupp Arena. <laughs> I gotta try to work that in to get Rupp. I got to sit with Johnny at Commonwealth for the the Kentucky Louisville football game, and that was fun. I gotta I gotta get up in there for a basketball game. Um, to maybe catch one and tag team with you, or or if it's Johnny or Tina part of the crew. Uh, however, that would that would definitely be fun. Um, and do remember, the show is about to end. Anything we do over the next couple of minutes will be available on the podcast blogtalkradio.com/slash/catstalk for any little extra couple minutes of, of overtime. And speaking of, I gotta ask you real quick. We're talking about and following DA on Twitter and Instagram and all that. Speaking of Instagram, your boy Byron Scott threatened to fight somebody on Instagram, but then he was saying he was hacked. Uh, do you think your boy was baited into these comments, or, or was it, you know, this is, this is what Byron Scott got to know better, been a player forever. You, you can't just react to what the fans say. But he says he didn't threaten the fans. But on Instagram, it's somebody, it's Byron Scott 4, and uh, somebody says, yo, this is Kobe, says, you better have them hands when I see you, bro. <laughs> and Byron says, bring it and tell your face, don't hide. You've been a Laker fan. Your thoughts on the latest non-basketball Laker news? The the, the Lakers, uh, <laughs> here's the thing, if the uh, – if the Clippers were a competent franchise, they they could – I think they could actually give the Lakers a run for their money because right now it is just dysfunctional. And I, I talked about this earlier. When you have great teams, it starts at the top. And when uh, Dr. Buss, Dr. Jerry Buss, when he passed away a few years ago and left, uh, I call him Junior Buss, in charge, uh, things got things got crazy. That's when we saw things like uh, Dwight Howard, uh, that whole fiasco. <laughs> uh, I mean, it just it it, it didn't work. Uh, the Steve Nash uh, sign of him didn't work. Uh, 
So now we've just got a an organization in disarray. The Laker games I do watch, you know, is at this point the Lakers, I think we can all say, they are not going to win 40 games, okay? But what you have to do, if that's the case, you know you're going to lose a lot of games, but you have to at least build for the future. That means uh, D'Angelo Russell has got to get some run, and uh, so does Julius Randle. Not, and, you know, he's a Kentucky guy too, but those are going to be your two pieces that you've invested in being the Lakers organization. It's not as if you've had a lot of top draft picks, uh, but you've got, to, you've got to play those guys. And Russell's minutes haven't been as consistent. And, again, I'm no NBA coach, but they haven't been as consistent as I would like to see. You know, let them learn on the job. That This is off-the-job training. It's not with the even with the Western Conference not being as good as we had predicted in the off season, the Lakers are out of it. So play your young guys, get them some valuable minutes. That way, like you talked about with your Cowboys, you know, building up from that one in fifteen season, let them learn, let them let them play, let them learn, give them different game situations so they can learn and grow. And I don't know if Byron Scott is. I don't know if he's that guy. He's had his greatest success with veteran-heavy teams. When you think about what he was doing in New Jersey and that success, it was veteran teams uh, that I don't think he had to develop as much as, you know, game plan. I think that's a little bit different. It's going to be interesting, as we know Kobe's going to walk away at the end of this season, it's going to be interesting what the Lakers do moving forward. Now that you remove Kobe out of the equation mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about his, his you know, him being a sideshow or, or and I hate to say that, but that's what it's kind of become. What are their next moves going to be? And that's going to be interesting uh to see, you know, once the the finals end in June, what the Lakers are going to do. Will will Byron Scott come back? You know, I I don't know. There's a lot of questions they have to uh, that they're going to have to answer. Two more questions for you, Lakers questions, before we wrap up the show and get ready for UK from Zoo at nine o'clock. Luke Walton is kind of like Reggie Bush. We we saw Reggie Bush put in work and win a Heisman. You know, technically Reggie Bush doesn't have a Heisman. But for those of us old enough to remember his time at USC, we can't unsee what we saw, even though he, quote-unquote, doesn't have a Heisman. Luke Walton doesn't have any coaching victories. We can't unsee what we just saw when the Warriors started out, you know, 39-4, whatever it was. Would you like to see Luke Walton as coach of your Los Angeles Lakers? Because, I mean, you put together a nice little resume and somebody's going to snatch him up at some point in time. Would you want to see him coaching the Lakers? Uh, so the, the thing is, and I, I'm not, I, I don't want to discredit 
what what he's done because the record obviously speaks for itself. But in perspective, you know, he's got the defending champions, and he's got a, the reigning NBA, NBA MVP that is playing at an otherworldly level. And so you, you don't know how fortunate he was to, to have this team like this. Now, I would say that uh, NBA insiders would know, and, and Steve Kerr and, and others in the uh, Warriors organization have, have said, you know, he was, you know, he was the coach. He was doing the X's and O's and all that. So if the Lakers decide Byron Scott is not the answer at coach, I would definitely not be opposed to to reaching out to Luke Walton uh, because the Lakers right now, this is uncharted territory as as a franchise. Uh, There's no guarantee that the next big free agent, whether that's Kevin Durant or or whoever, uh, will come to L.A. You you don't even see them kind of being a player, and that's that's strange. You know, once once Kobe retires, there's no super-duper star that you can look at and 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 say, well, he's going to be the next in the purple and gold. You know, not like you have we've seen uh, in the past. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, and but I would not be Russell Westbrook is from L.A. Westbrook is an L.A. native as well. So yeah. And 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 Westbrook, I think would would make sense uh, because of some of his off the court stuff as well. Uh, as far as being a fashion and everything, I think L.A. makes more sense than Oklahoma City. And, and with him playing uh, at UCLA, he's an L.A. guy. And I think in the, with the right situation, he could come back and really boost the franchise. Um, so we'll see. Uh, like I said, in the history of the Lakers franchise, this is as unusual situation as as it can be, uh, even though when you think about it, you know, they, they just won the last, their last title in, in 2010. So it hasn't been forever. It's just the drop-off has been pretty significant the last couple of years uh, when they made those moves and they didn't pan out. And last question, if the Sacramento Kings are – silly enough and willing to trade DeMarcus Cousins within the division if you are Mitch Kupchak what do you send to Sacramento to get it? Who is anybody out the limits or do you not care? Are you pulling a trigger no matter what? What does Terry Brown, GM of the Lakers do if if those Kings call offering up Boogie? Uh, well, I, I think that other than other than Russell, I think uh, everybody in a combination thereof should be on the, the the block. And and I say that loving Julius Randle, he's a cat. He's I think he's got a tremendous upside. But when you look at what Boogie is doing right now, and I believe we put this on the the show account on the on Facebook. And the the rarefied air he is in with these numbers he's putting up. Any, number one, anytime you're on a list with Michael Jordan, uh, yeah. Uh, so 
I, I think if if Sacramento is going to part with Boogie, yes, you 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 go get him. Uh, I think that's that's definite uh, because in Lakers history, and this going back fifty years uh, or sixty years, yeah, you get that big man, and you can get a, a guard to play off of him. Uh, that's a good recipe. We we you know we've seen that. <laughs> with with Shaq and Kobe and Kareem and Magic and uh, uh, Jerry West and uh, uh, Wilt Chamberlain, you know, go, going back, that's a pretty good recipe that the Lakers have working. So yeah, you've got to make that play. And I mean, a uh, hundred points and twenty five rebounds in his last two games. So yeah, uh, Anton Jameson, Jordan, and David Robinson, the only guys to do that prior to Boogie doing it uh, this past week. So that is that is unreal. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. Uh, my Rockets are on with the Spurs right now, so I'm going to watch that until the Cats tip off. Uh, Houston at San Antonio just started just to alley to Dwight Howard. Uh, but we had a super fun show. Uh, appreciate you coordinating everything. Uh, got got DA in the house and Mom Brown in the house. You was doing your thing in Louisville as always. Uh, check us both out at CameronMillsRadio.com. dot com. Check TV out at WildcatBlueNation.com. Um, and check out the Cats as they get ready to play the Missouri Tigers in a little less than an hour. So uh, another fun show and, and crammed a whole bunch of stuff in. But it was a ton of fun, man, like it always is. We did now. Uh, if our numbers spike, we're going to have to get Mama Brown back on the uh, back on the line. At any time, time. It was so nice to hear Mama Brown and have her on and have her speak with DA. That was great. So uh, And appreciate her handing out cards and, you know, Getting us out there in the field to her friends and peers. Hey, we I'm just grateful for the whole operation. Definitely, you you know how uh, how mamas can get. So, uh, but another <laughs> great night. Got the cats got the cats tonight against Missouri. Saturday they go to uh, Allen Fieldhouse at Kansas. Uh, that one's going to be a good one to watch with Kansas coming off that loss. And don't forget, we we beat Kansas pretty handedly last year, and we saw yeah. UCLA at home with that with that axe to grind. Uh, you know, Perry Ellis has been there for twenty years, so you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know they they are going to want to get the Cats uh, back. So it's going to be it's going to be a tough one. Uh, I think tonight Cats win. I see them uh, putting a signature win and and pulling it out in uh, in in Kansas. Uh, I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I think the Cats can can do it. Yeah, and and a couple of weeks ago it would have been would have been hard to foresee that. Uh, I'm working on a little article right now for CameronMillsRadio.com about that whole uh, thing with the Kansas UCLA and all that, as far as you know, kind of that deja vu all over again thing. I'll try to have that up in the next day or so, leading up to the game, because a couple of weeks ago, before Kansas kind of got on this little skid. We saw what type of game Oklahoma played there, and they still lost. 
Uh, Oklahoma had four or five chances to beat Kansas, had a chance to win in regulation from the free throw line, had the lead late in several of those overtimes, but yet still came up short. And I'm like, man, they played a heck of a game. Buddy Hill tied for the most points ever scored by an opposing player in Fall Gallon Fieldhouse, and they still came up short. And at this time, Kentucky was struggling, uh, you know, and it was like, wow, I don't know if, if the Cats can come in there with that kind of effort. But since then, as crazy as this season is, you know, Kentucky's kind of getting their legs under them, and Kansas has kind of got some shaky legs going. So it's going to be a good game, and you, you, you like Kentucky's chances now, or I do, a lot better than I did uh, this time a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's okay. You can you can go to the Hubie Brown second person and say you, but I I, I like our chances, you know, uh, <laughs> and I don't want people to misunderstand and say, hey, they're just going to go down there. It's not going to be easy. Uh, right. The the Cats are going to have to play really, really well, uh, but I think they can do it, and I think this could be the game that we could point to, you know, at the end of the season after – and, you know, this is looking way ahead. Another Final Four run, uh, this could be this could be the game that kind of turns things around uh, for them. And, and really, win or lose, because I know we're running low on time, but if you look at 2014, that lost to Florida in the SEC title game, they played well enough to really springboard to where they needed to be. So we're going to see. Uh, what they're made of on Saturday. Absolutely, and we're looking forward to it. Looking forward to the game tonight. Enjoy it, everybody. Thanks again for everything, TB. Uh, have a good rest of the evening as we stay up late and watch the Cats and the Tigers and look forward to UK and Kansas this coming Saturday. And another fun show. Thanks once again to Mama Brown, Patrick Loney, and Derek Anderson, DA himself, on the show. Uh, check us all out, blogtalkradio.com slash cattalk. Cattalk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. We'll see everybody this time next week. For Terry Brown, this is Benny Hardy. And we'll holler at y'all next week on Cat Talk Wednesday. Have a good evening and enjoy the game. We'll see y'all next week.